to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law. I am joined by Christopher Williams, uh, who also of Above the Law. We do not have Catherine Rubino this week. She's off, but uh, we're going to soldier on. How you doing? Pretty good. Um, I'm appreciating the Barry White voice you broke out for today's podcast. It just feels oh. extra silky. Nice, nice, nice. Well, you know, it's weird. I'm reacting to, for whatever reason, the reverb that I'm getting in my uh, headphones is awkward today. So I'm, my voice is maybe a little different because I'm reacting to the sound of it hitting me. Are you telling to everybody listening to this that, are you giving them proof that you don't even listen to half the stuff you say? Is that what I'm hearing? No, no, this no. This is no. a new experience? Well, no, I mean, it's just like that sound where it's, how do I put this? It, you know, because it, it hits you like half a second after you say it, right? So mm. you have to soldier on and keep talking, at, even though you're hearing it awkwardly in your earphones. But I'm, I'm, I'm hopefully it's just the headphones and not a, a strange crockpot recipe side effects you're dealing with. No, I haven't done any uh, crockpot recipeing. Oh, you know, this is technically <laughs> small talk, but. You know, Catherine's not here, so I don't think we need to do sound effects. Ah, um, uh, yeah. Let's. I'll be. I'm. I'm thinking about being annoyed in her honor, but mm-hmm. I, I'm sure she'll listen to it at some point later. Hopefully uh, not, but you know, you never yeah. know how life is. Well, anyway, this is of course Thanksgiving week, so I'm not working on crockpots. I'm working on turkey brining and stuff right now. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Fancy. I me- I moved from wet brining it to dry brining it last year. And mm. I'm going to stick with that. Allows it to dry out, skin crispier, that sort of thing. Oh, that's good. But my yeah. thing is, whenever somebody mentions something about turkey recipe, always for Thanksgiving, I always get worried that they're about to mention deep frying it because I mm. think that's like the leading cause of house fires. Like it is. Deep frying, Chris, deep frying <laughs> Christmas and uh, Thanksgiving turkeys. Yeah. I am definitely going to do that one of these days, but I'm, I'm not there yet. It doesn't have to be at your house. That's the weird thing. You know, yeah. just make a make a, a peace offering to an enemy like a Trojan horse. But it's uh, well, I, I've got enough room here that I can I can set up my rig nowhere near the house. And hopefully that will avoid any risks. But well, let's get right to it then. This is Thanksgiving week, so a short week this week. Hopefully we will get some bonuses. That's usually what starts rolling in around this time, but we don't have any at this point. So I thought we would start off by talking about the Rittenhouse verdict, which obviously was the dominating the news last week. So that happened. <laughs> yeah. I, I, Short, sweet, to the point. Me personally, I'm, I'm glad that it's done. I expected this verdict. Mm-hmm. I was not up in arms. My, re- my response wasn't, oh my God, but he... Provoked. In my head, I'm like, yes. But like the legal mind, I'm like, okay, if I'm thinking about this subjective standard, did this person think that their life was at risk? What have you? I could see this being an outcome. Um, yeah. So even with a lot of the uh, the lead up to the case with the jury, the jury and the judge and all that, even moments where I was like, the judge is being a dick. I was still like, I don't know if this is, I was never at the point where I don't know if this is enough of him being said dick to be like a mistrial or anything. I was just like, I don't like this person, but it, it makes sense. The outcome makes sense. I've seen, I've seen takes from a lot of folks who are actually familiar with the law. They're like, yeah, this makes sense. And I've seen, I feel like most of the outrage has been from well-meaning uh, people that just don't have much of a legal background. And they're like, 
yes, he went, he had all these, uh, all this pro cop content. Medics usually don't carry AKs around. This is clearly the position he wanted to be in. And in my head, I'm like, yes, all that can be true. But the way that the law is set up, it's in that moment what happened. I started to shift toward thinking that maybe this could be a, a learning opportunity to just teach people who aren't legally minded what that, that the rule of law looks like things like this happening. Like, I don't think he should have got jail time for this. I think that it's uh, uh, given the way that the law is set up. I think it's a strong point that like mob mentality didn't go in a, go against the face of like self-defense doctrine. I do think the way that we think of self-defense and provocation is dumb, but that requires a different change. And the thing that comes to mind is there was a South Park episode years ago where it was Cartman and Token. Mm-hmm. It was a stand your ground. Episode. Stand your ground. Yep. And it was like, oh, standing my ground. I'm standing my ground. And then Carmen had like a, I think it was like a red Little spray circle. can. Yep. Yeah. And he drew a circle. And then he like, he like lured Token in with like a fist bump and like, oh, he threatened me. Boom. Everybody saw that. They saw that, right? He threatened me. And I think, and that's what feels like happened here. Yeah. And like the scheme of things. And, but, but I, but I say that my frustration with it is as a, me looking at the event as a person that's interested in rhetoric and like whistleblowing and signaling like the fact that he did this and then he's getting politicians rushing at the foaming at the mouth to give him an internship right or that as soon as this happened i got notifications for adverts to buy rifles or like as soon as this happens there was a video that went viral of a guy saying be free be armed be dangerous be moral like he wasn't saying that to me i just happened to see the video like i get who the right. audience is but these are all these are all things that haven't risen to being of legal significance, but there's but there's still symptomatic of a culture war happening, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that this is a good opportunity for people to talk about incitement and provocation. But as far as the way the law is now, it shouldn't have been surprising. Yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't surprised, but I did feel like ye, the law is the law, but I don't know. I think that jury instructions can be crafted that you know, don't write off a lot of that provocation, the significance of it. And I, and one point that I made, and I saw some other people making similar points as Southpaw did on Twitter too, this really goes back to, I wrote an article way back on Stand Your Ground stuff about how functionally it's trial by combat. At a certain point, we have morphed this law to become, if you succeed, if you get into an altercation where both of you are afraid, which one would assume if both people are armed, you would be, it just becomes who wins. That's who gets to claim the the defense, which is problematic and somewhat medieval. Yeah. Something we should be concerned about. And I felt like this case was a just another step on that. Stand your ground was obviously its its own kind of procedural thing, but this is moving into more traditional self-defense doctrine and really making it a to the victor goes the goes the acquittal which is problematic and i think people need to be concerned about that because as you say we're having these instances where folks are coming over in a provocative way it's gonna lead to more altercations and if we have a self-defense law that basically allows you to point guns at people and if you win that fight, you get to get off. It undermines a lot of what the basic fabric of rule of law is supposed to be and becomes kind of, you know, 
medieval I've already said, but I think that's an apt term. When I think about what self-defense law is structurally, it's like if uh, it's like if there was because because the way because the reason violence is bad is not because people don't want other people to get hurt. Like so much of our everyday lives is based off of violence being the norm. The reason batteries will have your criminals because the state has a monarch has a monopoly on violence. You know, right. it's the state's authority to enact harm upon the body politic and self-defense well, is in fairness they don't have a monopoly anymore because if mm-hmm. you're 17 and say that you're a medic you actually are deputized no that well well yes what i was saying <laughs> right. is like the way that like self-defense law is set up it's like a rule of exception that's carved out in the state's monopoly on violence it's like mm-hmm. even in like the like everybody knows for the people that do know Kant, emmanuel Kant, some german dude he's dead now mm-hmm. like he's known as like the um, categorical imperative guy ethical actions and you mm-hmm. need to ask if you could do this thing to everyone else fairly if so cool that's like a, a a short summary of it but even he has an exception for dueling right like there's i mean he's also like he has an exception for slavery but that's another discussion but like even the guy that's like categorical imperative he even has a dueling exception right so i think that we, because you're talking about in terms of being like a return to medieval practice i do think there is something fundamental in how we think about what violence is and who was allowed to enact it that we have to get at the root of if we really want to have discussions about the right to self-defense, whatever that means in provocation. And obviously there's, it's a, it's a doctrine that is not consistently applied because, uh, you know, people are in the wake of this pointing to other cases like this woman from Wisconsin who apparently allegedly killed someone who had been had kidnapped her and sexually abused her and the prosecutor just went ahead and said no self defense you're you know we're going for first degree which you know that's that failure to consistently apply this is i think what burns a lot of people a lot of people more because you know the yeah, rule of law really it. only works mm-hmm. when it's consistent and another thing that uh, that I that I see that, and again, this might go to questions of provocation. I think it go. It definitely goes. I would go on Diana Hill saying it also goes to question of provocation. Like, you say there's a woman or a person in a relation abusive relationship, and mm-hmm. then like one night they decide to. They're like, I can't take this anymore. I need to get out of this, and they decide to kill the kill their abuser, or like while they're sleeping or what have you. Like one of the things about the way that most self-defense laws work is that there needs to be an immediate threat. And mm-hmm. usually people who are sleeping aren't an immediate threat. Right. And you get, and you get similar arguments that non-legal folks are saying about Rittenhouse, you know, yes. But if you look at the context of that, what was happening, this was clearly a defense in the same way that like, if they look at Rittenhouse and they say, if you look at the contents context, of what was happening, this was clearly provocation. But mm-hmm. the, the way that we think about immediacy is a, is a challenge here. Yeah, and I was like, if I if I look at it, it's like in that moment, in that moment is what the jury was asked to look at, which is why talking about well his Facebook posts it was irrelevant. Well, that was uh, I mean I haven't dealt with self defense in a long time. It's not something that's come up for me in my practice, and so there. And also, laws can be different elsewhere. So I'm not speaking categorically over you know like 
everywhere in the 50 states. And also, this isn't uh, a blanch. Like, this isn't legal advice. I'm not a, I'm not an attorney. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, no, no, all no. that, all those, you know. Yes. But, yeah. but, but I just was saying, like, I haven't really dealt with any of this since law school. So it was good that you're here having, you know, dealt with it more recently. Because you went to law school, you know, you went to law school to be a lawyer, not an accountant. Take advantage of NOTA, a no-cost IOLTA management tool that helps solo and small law firms track client funds down to the penny. Enjoy peace of mind with one-click reconciliation, automated transaction alerts, and real-time bank data. Visit trustnota.com slash legal to learn more. Terms and conditions may apply. So, uh, let's... One. That was a yeah, good one. You know, I mean, hey, if it's... This is most of my job. I really don't feel like <laughs> most of this show is just getting to and from the ad reads. Mm-hmm. Everything else is what you and Catherine do. Uh, but let's Aww. talk. Let's talk about some sheriffs. You came upon an interesting, troubling legal story. Yeah, again, the rule of law thing. So you <laughs> that know whole the thing. Yeah, you know the people that were like whenever some black father of four gets shot for jaywalking, and the immediate mm-hmm. response is, "Well, he should have followed the law." You know, because, mm-hmm. you know, jaywalking is illegal. And even if it's a arbitrary law, it's on the books. And, you know, it, it's probably worth enforcing. But unless you're a sheriff, because that's where it gets, gets, that's where it gets wicked. I think there were maybe like, I think the number is like six or eight sheriffs that got picked up by some far right think tank, given a scholarship to come mm-hmm. to uh, the final bastion of right wing politics, California, oddly enough. Well, and it's the Claremont Institute, right? The Claremont Institute, yeah. Yeah. And uh, what made it interesting is like these are sheriffs who are straight up like, I'm not a fan of the vaccine mandates. I'm not going to enforce this. And they're just they're just opting out of things to they're opting out of the rule of law functionally, mm-hmm. you know? Because like the weird thing is we talk about um, judicial politics and what have you but at least like judges like say for example clarence thomas he plays the role of yes even though i say i don't like it i'm also passing laws at the bench but oh uh, you know you cry you hang your head in shame later but you do your job and you go home there yeah. there but there's sheriffs that was like nope i'm good constitutional interpretation that's not just a juridical thing it's the job mm-hmm. of the sheriffs as well and my first thought when i hear about sheriffs just deciding when and when not to enforce the law is tulsa you know mm-hmm. and just uh the wild range of instances where sometimes 17 year old medics might feel like they've been deputized because sometimes they actually are, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, and, right. I, and I do think that like, whenever, when I read these things, it's important to think that this might just not be not, not just that it's newsworthy, but that it is indicative of the time we're in. Cause like, who are the folks that don't recognize you're in the middle of a rule of law crisis. We're in the middle of a rule of law crisis. And for the people that do realize that this is the case, we should pay extra attention to times where actions that cut against the rule of law are being incentivized. Mm-hmm. And this is one of them. This is right. one of them. I mean, the incentivization is really disturbing. Now, Claremont Institute has also been in the news a lot for legal stuff because that's the home of Eastman who wrote the How to Coup in Six Easy Steps memo. So that's the same organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is something to be said for, you know, prosecutorial discretion, law enforcement discretion. There are laws that exist that probably don't need to be enforced to the hilt. And so it's good that we 
allow people in those sorts of positions to choose not to do certain things. Uh, you know, you don't want it to be arbitrary and capricious, but if you wanted to say, look, I've decided it's not in the benefit of our use of resources or the society as a whole for me to be running around and arresting everybody for marijuana possession, that's fine. Uh, that, that is a decision being made about how do you best use the resources that I think is within one's power. This, however, especially with the way in which other organizations are giving incentives to law enforcement to choose not to obey the edicts of the state legislatures, is that, that's more disturbing. Because that, that takes it outside of the government. I think it's state. I think it's federal. So, it should, so this should also just be a clear federalism issue. And well, I mean, but they, there's no federal. So the federal, the whole, we did the, we did a show on this early in the pandemic. So the, the federal question is very iffy. Like there's not a lot to suggest that the federal government can have these sorts of mandates, which is why you have this kind of genius, but screwy, OSHA thing, where the Biden administration is trying to push a vaccine mandate not on the grounds of, hey, you have to get a public health for public health reasons, get this vaccine, but to say it's a workplace safety issue and companies need to guarantee themselves that their other employees are vaccinated for the safety of everyone in the workplace. Because that's really the only in the feds get to have. But no, state governments have broad police power in this area they're describing themselves as being constitutional sheriffs and they're well, just like right. and they're saying like and they're, they're on record saying there is or at least one guy who's like we will refuse any state or federal uh vaccine mandates and there was even a point where they're like hey we're also thinking about not acknowledging election results so it's like even right. if it is the case that there isn't so even if there is a case that there will won't be some federal law that they will actually challenge the fact that this can be said in public is itself oh, yeah. a concern. Oh, yeah. And then they are definitely ignoring state edicts because <clears throat> that's where yeah. the state police power is. And, you know, they call themselves constitutional sheriffs or whatever, mm -hmm. but like hillbillies want to mm -hmm. be sons of the soil. And mm -hmm. It's just not going to happen for them either. That's an old Simpsons, I think, if I recall that line. If only there was a way to render gifts in audio form because i'm pretty sure that'll be a good that'll be a good reference yeah i i think i'm trying to think i think that might have been one of the treehouse of horror halloween episodes but whatever uh yeah no like it's it's gonna become a problem uh if we have these kind of yahoo local officials who consistently believe that they can take the law into their own hands it's it's not great but I will say, and, and you're lucky I don't have the laugh track, but um, round of applause to whatever think tank people are coming up with the names because constitutional sheriff sounds cool as hell. Like I just, <laughs> it, it's a lot, it's a lot quicker than um, no angel, right? Because mm. both of them should carry across the, the impulse that they're not law abiding, but to not be law abiding as a way to uphold some, you know, some higher standard. That's real cool. It'd be real cool if there was a way I could just turn that on and off whenever I want to. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, let's hear from Lexicon now and uh, then come back and talk a little bit about law school. 
Here's a message just for the attorneys out there. So you passed the bar, joined a firm, or even built your own. Now are you finding out that you're doing more administration than actual law practice? Lexicon can help. Lexicon is a legal services and technology provider with over a decade of experience streamlining administrative tasks like timekeeping, HR, billing, client intake, and more. So you can focus on maximizing billable hours and increasing client satisfaction. Call 855-4-LEXICON or visit lexiconservices.com go to learn more. So, back, the Federalist Society has been in the news lately because there was the whole trap house controversy at Yale, which we've talked about. Uh, I was on a webinar with the original author of that article where he was trying to talk about how it's some grave free speech violation <laughs> as opposed to not that at all. But point is... Mm -hmm. Federalist Society has been all over the place. Uh, new development over the weekend that we learned about was that at NYU, there were two women who were on the board of the Federalist Society chapter there, and they have resigned, and they wrote a letter explaining their decision, and their decision was that they really felt that the rest of the board was disturbingly trying to turn the organization into a very conservative activist group to which I don't understand what group these people thought they were a part of. Maybe they just thought it was a, uh, a Chick-fil-A offshoot. Cause like <laughs> when I think of the federal society, it's like reactive traditional values and mm -hmm. free chicken, you know, and that might, and it might show some biases on my part, but you know, I'm sure they also have salads, but still it's like, this all seems well on a 10. It should have been expected. Yeah, well, what get me, gets me, and frankly, the Chick-fil-A thing is a perfect example of it, right? Because in my day, they gave out free pizza because Chick-fil-A had not made a performative move to say that they're anti-gay rights. As soon as Chick-fil-A did that, I don't think a Federalist Society event in the country has served anything but Chick-fil-A since then, which that right there, put aside any other thing, that is your red flag that this organization is clearly an activist group. Yo, okay, so I don't know if this is true, but the first mm -hmm. thought I had when you said that was, I wonder if they decided to switch to Papa John's when it was found out that the that Mr. Papa John said the N-word more than Paul Mooney. Because that would have been, that would be hilarious. That would have been. And, and I, also, that would have yeah, been a great time to serve pizza at your trap house. Yeah, geez. Oh, man. Anyway, but yeah, like... It, it's all about performative trolling and has been for years. I don't understand what, like, I don't want to belittle the concerns that these women had because it did sound like they were trying to make changes on, on the board and they felt excluded. But I mean, it, it, it's the club you joined. And it's been <laughs> that way for years. It, it's not like a surprise. I mean, I'm older. I knew what FedSoc was. And it's been that way for years because they're traditionalists. Yeah, like, <laughs> like if anything, if anything, there's an argument to be had that the organization has gotten more, like much like conservatism as a whole, has shifted from having kind of a minor libertarian streak to being much more make America great, as the whole conservative movement writ large has had that evolution. So maybe you could say that's been the change, but I mean, it was always on the fringe of 
of where the right was. And because it's supposed to be like, that's by design. That's not a bug. That's a feature Uh, because the goal of the organization is for to cultivate and nurture right wing law students and get them networking connections with other powerful members of that movement. And that will always gravitate to the more fringe because that is going to be who's best suited to be their connections. It's the people who are filing 8 million lawsuits for, you know, like one of those, like the blah, blah, blah fund that like only files lawsuits about how gay bakers are destroying the world. Uh, I know that's the opposite actually, but the point is those organizations are always the big movers and shakers and they're the ones who everyone's trying to meet. And that's just going to drive that more and more to the fringe. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get why they, how they didn't see this coming. Yeah. Uh, my only comment to that was, uh, that was a very, uh, kind description of Fetsock. I would just say, <laughs> I would just call it the, uh, white supremacist recruiting group of the, <laughs> yeah, I mean, of the legal field. I, cause I don't know. And here's the weird thing about cancel culture mm-hmm. is the way that we think about who gets canceled and what gets enabled is so skewed right right Mm -hmm. like if we were to think about like the culture surrounding enabling racism it would look like i don't know somebody shooting people at a black lives matter rally and getting an internship not from anything that he's done prior to that but because (laughs) that happened Mm -hmm. or like or like professors repeatedly saying slurs and you know still having their jobs like yes i get tenure as a thing but the fact but like that's i think it's still worth mentioning or like say what is it some law student still got a, like a prestigious federal internship after like recently saying racist things. well this right? is the clanton thing that we talked yeah. about last week yeah yeah like the fact that the fact that these things aren't big no-nos but i've had conversations where friends asked me if a a hairstyle was professional enough like the, the 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 metric people use to gauge employability skew so yeah right leaning it is wild like there are some jobs where you can't work there if you're wearing the wrong shoe the oh, person right. that threw this the, the thing that I don't get the person that threw this like Yale trap party they're going to have a job and it's going to be great oh, yeah like this yeah. would just be a thing that they laugh about when they're throwing back beers with their friends because for whatever reason. I don't know. People making six figures still like beers. I don't know. Is it weird? I'm not a fan of wheat water. Like, I feel like once you reach a certain bracket, like have some wine. Like, isn't that the cultured thing? I don't know. I just feel like it's better on the palate. But fair enough. I think that's that's very true. It does push very right on that front. And uh, yeah, I think that's it. I think that's all we have for today. So with that said, thanks everyone for listening. You should subscribe to the show. You should give it reviews, stars, write something, show some engagement. That's always good for the algorithms, which then will suggest this show to more people and get it out there. Check out Above the Law, as always, so you can read these stories and more, not just the ones that we talk about every week, but the whole range of coverage. You should be listening to The Jabot, which is Catherine's other podcast. I'm also a recurring panelist on the Legal Tech Week Journalists Roundtable, which, is it Legal Tech Week or Legal Tech, uh, whatever, I think it's Legal Tech Week. You're lucky she's not here. You are so lucky she's not here. (laughs) So, So actually, you know, it's interesting, on the last episode of that, 
the mm-hmm. host of the show introduced it and got the name wrong. And I was like, <laughs> see, it's not me. It's, ju- it's just a name that doesn't quite roll off the tongue. Yeah, mm-hmm. anyway. Mm-hmm. So, uh, sure. but but no, that did happen. Uh, anyway, so all of that, you should be checking us out on social media. I'm at Joseph Patrice. He's at Rights for Rent. Thanks to Noda, powered by MT Bank and Lexicon. And hmm, I think that's everything. You should be having a late. good week. What? Yes, have, have a good, good week. week. Have good turkey. Uh, we'll see every, unless you're a vegetarian, then have good whatever you eat. And then uh, we'll uh, catch up next week. 